You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to return to Genesis 9. I thought we would finish Genesis 9 up this morning, but I don't think we'll get that far. Our reading is going to begin with verse 18 and... I think we'll probably just read through verse 23 because that's all the further I see us getting this morning. Genesis 9, verse 18 through 23. In fact, why don't we, for, for focus' sake, why don't we begin with verse 20? We'll read verses 20 through 23. Verses 18 and 19 really set us up for chapter 10, actually. We'll see that when we get to it. But let's look at, let's start with verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Sham and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning and pray that, Father, you'd be pleased to teach us from your word. Father, we pray that, Lord, you would teach us what the Holy Spirit intended to teach us uh, from this particular passage. We want it all, Lord. We pray that you very liberally pour out your teaching and that, Father, your teaching would permeate our hearts into real, true life change. We desire, and I think I can speak for everyone in the room, Father, we desire to be more and more like Christ. And we pray, Father, that you would be pleased to uh, make us more and more like Jesus, that as you teach us from your word, that, Father, you would change us, that we would find our, our outlooks and we would find our taste, we'd find our, every faculty of our soul being, being changed and aligned with, with your word. So Father, we look to you for these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. This morning, it's not hard to see that we come to a really dark story, don't we? It's a dark story in the life of um, a very exemplary man. Actually, in fact, the title of this sermon this morning is Lessons from the Fall of a Holy Man. Um, before we go any further, take that in for a second. Um, lessons from the Fall of a Holy Man. Meditate on that for a minute. In verse 20, we are told that Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. Verse 21, he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Verse 22, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And remember a few weeks ago, I made the comment that when the Bible uh, Records when the authors, the human authors, record these stories under the inspiration and hand of the Holy Spirit, that they do so with amazing conciseness, 
that it's amazing how much is said with so few words. And here we have these, these three verses, and look how much is being said here. And it has been said, and I think rightly, that if the Bible were merely just a human writing, if it was merely just the product of human beings, I have a sneaking suspicion that these three verses wouldn't be here. I have a sneaking suspicion that maybe if they were here, they would be modified slightly to have Noah coming out looking in a little bit better light than how it looks. But um, the Bible doesn't sweep the mess under the rug, does it? And we don't need a Bible that sweeps the mess under the rug. Because as we gather here this morning, I've already heard from a couple of you this morning, life is messy, isn't it? We need a Bible that addresses the mess. We need a word from God that looks right into the face of the mess and explains it for us and shows us the light and the way out of the mess. And that's exactly what we have. We have a Bible that doesn't, it doesn't sweep the mess under the rug. Thank goodness for that. During the flood, um, the, as I said in an earlier message, the, the world changed drastically. You know, I try to imagine what you, you know, you look out the window and um, try to imagine everything you see out there being under three miles of water. Three miles of water. Uh, the effect that would have on this area. When the water has subsided, we wouldn't recognize anything. Everything would be different. But you'll recall that I said there was, during the flood, there was one thing that stayed the same. Do you remember what that one thing was? The people, Noah and his family, who are on the ark. The hearts of the people on the ark really remained unchanged through it, didn't they? And I said that we would see that in time. Well, here we're certainly going to see that this morning that the flood with all of its power uh, was unable to change the human heart. Of course, it wasn't, that wasn't its design. Uh, that's Christ's design to change the heart. And only Christ, working in concert with the Holy Spirit and the Father, can change our hearts. Um, but in our text this morning, we see that even the holiest of men need a Savior, don't we? And, of course, the holier you are, the more you are aware of that. Um, the, the holier we become. In other words, the closer we get to the Lord, the more we see of our sin, and of course, the more we see of our need uh, of Christ. Um, that's just the way it works. Um, Noah is no exception. Now, I, I want to begin looking at our text this morning, and for the sake of our memories, to assist our memories, I would like to look at it under really three headings. I think they're pretty easy to remember. I want to look at the extent of Noah's fall. It's obvious that Noah falls, isn't it? Let's look at the extent of Noah's fall. Uh, let's look at the cause of Noah's fall. What caused this to happen? And then lastly, we'll look at the report of Noah's fall. So we have the extent, the cause, and the report that follows. Uh, let's look under those three headings and take them in this order, starting with the extent of Noah's fall. If you turn back to Genesis 6 with me, there we're going to be reminded of some material that we covered in earlier passages, namely that the earth had become increasingly corrupt, then the earth was filled with violence. And if you look at verse 8, there we learn that Noah had found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
Do we have anybody here with a King James this morning? King James Bible? I don't know if we did or not. Some of our, some of our English translations, including the King James Version or the New King James Version, they, render, they translate this passage this way. Listen carefully. But Noah found grace in the eyes. Some of you are smiling. You see the connection. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, that's helpful looking at both of these together. God's favor, God's grace. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, sometimes abbreviated capital L, capital X, capital X, that's Roman numerals for 70. Uh, it could be translated this way, quote, but Noah found grace before the Lord. Noah found grace before the Lord. Now, I make this comparison to show you that anytime we've found the favor in the eyes of the Lord, we've also found grace. It's important that we understand that. Or we can understand, we, we could misinterpret this and say, well, Noah is, you know, he earned this favor. Of course, the Lord was favorable with Noah. He's a great guy. He, he earned this favor. We don't want to read the text that way. Um, Noah found grace, didn't he? He found grace. And there is nothing, I mean nothing, there is nothing, nothing, nothing in this world that we need more than the grace of God. Nothing. Nothing. I don't care what you need right now. You might need something really important right now. You don't need anything more than you need the grace of God. That's what you need. That's what you need. You need it more than you need anything. It reminds me of an outstanding sermon that I heard uh, a number of years ago. Um, I can remember the point that this preacher was making uh, after all of these years. He said that your greatest need is need. Your greatest need is need. He was saying the same thing that I'm trying to say this morning. We need God's grace. We need Jesus and we need His atonement and we need the new life that He is offering us. We need that more than we need anything else. If I was on life support and, and ICU in one of the Pittsburgh hospitals, hanging, just barely hanging on with my life, you want to know what I would need more than anything else? I would need grace. That's what I would need. More than anything. We need God's grace. The story of Noah graphically illustrates it, doesn't it? I mean, if we would have interviewed the people of Noah's day and asked them what their greatest need was, I don't have any doubts it would sound a lot like the same question that we're asked today of our present culture. What do you need? What is your greatest need? And people do surveys like this. Uh, the surveys have been done in our area. One of the greatest needs that we say in our area is health care or better health care. Um, that's one of the greatest needs. More income. There's a lot of families really struggling in our area. They don't have adequate income. These are, these are health care is a significant need. More income is a significant need. More leisure, more comfort, more money, more esteem, etc., etc., etc. Some of these things are, are sinful and worldly. Some of them not so much. Uh, there's, a, there's the list. If we would have asked people in Noah's day, I think they probably would have given pretty much the same answer. But we see from our study here that what they needed most was not any of those things, was it? What good is Blue Cross Blue Shield going to do folks who have been lost in the flood? 
What they needed was the grace. That's what they needed. Everything else is temporary and fading. If you've got the grace, you've got everything, by the way. You've got everything. That's why people can be happy under such horrible circumstances. People who have the grace and realize what they have. If you've got grace, you've got everything. The things that we so think we so desperately need are, are passing away. Many of the things that we think we have to have actually are luxuries. I, would, I talk with a lot of people in the course of my work with the courthouse. and you know, I was talking with a man here just this week, and, and he was talking about the age of his central air unit on his house and how his air conditioning is getting old. And He's like, I just don't know what we're going to do if that fails. I just don't know what we're going to do. And I was listening to him, and it, I'm like, well, here's what you're going to do. You're not going to have any air conditioning. I mean, that's, that's going to happen. We forget that like, air conditioning is a luxury. It's not a necessity. And I realize like, if you had something to throw at me right now, you'd throw it. I get that. But come on. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a necessity. I mean... Many of these things that we think we really need, we don't really need. We've seen how much Noah's world parallels our own. I mean, I got a couple comparisons for you. Listen to these comparisons. Noah's world was lost in corruption and violence. Okay, our world is lost in corruption and violence, isn't it? Noah's world existed under the promise of judgment. Hello? Ours does too. It's the same promise that God made to Noah. He's making to us. You can be certain... It's going to happen. Noah's world brushed off the promise of judgment is crazy, fanatical, and certainly not to happen. Our present culture is brushing off the promise of judgment is crazy, fanatically, fanatical, and certainly not to happen. Um, Noah's world did not believe the favor of God was the most important thing. Our world does not believe the favor of God is the most important thing. And I wonder, but that Noah's world already believed they had the favor of God. I wonder if they, I wonder if they were kind of like us, like so many in our culture think they already have the favor of God. We're not looking for it because we think we already got it, because it's unimaginable to us that we could have anything else, because we're such great people, after all. Right? I mean, I'm not trying to be, like, obnoxious here. I'm just trying to say it the way it, it really is. I mean, we're... We think we're really a great bunch of folks. We're not deserving of anything too awful bad, are we? Until we start studying the Bible. That's why we don't like studying the Bible. Left to ourselves. It's a mirror, as Calvin used to say. Nothing could be more false. I, I, I don't care what we need right now. There's something we need more important than anything else, and it's the favor of God. Noah was a blessed man because he had the favor of God. Noah was a blessed man. He had the favor of God because he had the grace of God. He had the grace of God. And Noah walked with God in this favor and grace, and he was a righteous and holy man. And in our text this morning, we find this righteous and holy man lying in drunkenness and shame, don't we? And there we see the extent of the fall. Um, a man who has described by Scripture, as holy, righteous, and blameless, lying in his tent in drunkenness and in shame. Um, we've looked at the extent of Noah's fall. This text actually is scary to me. 
I don't know if it's scary to you or not, but this text scares me. Uh, some of you are, are, are looking at me like, why is this text so scary? Um, it's scary because if this can happen to Noah, well then I know that this can happen to me. You're not going to find Rick Anderson named in the Scriptures anywhere. Um, if you did, it'd be unlikely you'd find the ascription blameless. I'm not as holy as Noah. Not apart from Christ, of course. My point here is if Noah can fall like this, then I can fall. If Noah can fall like this, then you can too. You see, that's scary to me as well. So, I think the question we want to ask right now is what in the world happened? Um, how, did this, how did this happen? What happened? Noah, what happened to Noah? What's the cause of Noah's fall? How did he fall from such heights? Well, let me say this. I mean, over the centuries, there have been numerous Bible interpreters who have said that wine had not been... Uh, invented yet or produced yet at the time of Noah, and that Noah was the first one to produce wine, and that Noah didn't realize what the wine was going to do to him when he drank it. So he wasn't aware of um, he wasn't aware of the effects it would have. And the, these interpreters are suggesting this based on the reputation that the scriptures and the accolades that the scriptures pay to Noah. He's a, a man. I mean, first of all, uh, he's a man who's blameless. Holy, righteous, how can he be found in his tent in this shape, in this kind of condition? Well, it must have been, must have been that he just invented wine. He was the first one to invent wine, and he didn't know what wine was going to do to him, and this must have been what happened. But interpreters will do the same thing with John the Baptist, you know, when he's in, when he's in prison and, and he sends his guys to see Jesus and ask Jesus, hey, are you the, you know, are you the one to come, or should we look, the one who's to come, or should we look for another? And, Sometimes people, they, 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 don't just, they don't want to, uh, John the Baptist could never have doubted, you see. Um, and they'll take that, that position. Um, here, um, this, this couldn't have happened to Noah. I, I, I don't take that position. I just want you to know that there's many over the centuries who, who have taken that position. I, I take the position that Noah was abusing the wine that he had produced, uh, that he was abusing it. And at any rate, I mean, I don't, it seems to me, I've wrestled with it all week, we don't have any way to determine that I can tell if wine had been ever produced before. If Noah was the inventor of wine, I don't know how we could, I don't know how we could, we could prove that. And I, I think it would even be harder to prove that Noah didn't know what the effects of too much wine would be. Um, but at any rate, I, I think there's a way that we can that we can, I think there's something we can do here. I, neither one of these questions are going to make application of this hard for us because at the very least, Noah is guilty of excess. E-X-C-E-S-S. Excess. E-X-C-E-S-S. Meaning uh, too much of something. Going over the top with something. More than what is appropriate of something. Noah is certainly going to be guilty of this. After all, a glass of wine, uh, one single glass of wine is not going to 
do this to somebody? I mean, Noah's hammered on the floor of his tent. I mean, he's hammered. Uh, one single glass of wine is not going to do that. Um, so he's still chargeable with excess. Now, our land is called the land of excess. Um, we are people of excess. So this is an important lesson for us, isn't it? I'll warn you, it's going to be a hard one. This is a hard one because this hits us really close to home. Uh, we're called a, the land of excess because we are people of excess. And as I've already said, many of the things we call necessities, other people would call absolute luxuries. And we've taken these luxuries to places that really have been really unknown to even kings and queens in, in times past. Tammy and I have been watching this series called, what's it called? Crimson Field. I had to write it in my notes because I'd be standing here. I don't remember what it's called. Crimson Field. And it's, um, it's, it's a series of, of, um, of uh, episodes that take place in the south of France. It's a makeshift army hospital during World War I uh, in the south of France. And actually, it's a pretty, I, I, we think it's a pretty good show. We enjoy watching it. Having seen, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen episodes, I was looking for something this week in our cupboard, and I was going through it and I, in our hall cupboard, and that's where we keep like the, you know, uh, you know, your allergy medicine, your cold medicine, and I was just looking for something in there, and I'm, I happened to notice, and we need to go through it because a lot of this stuff's expired, it accumulates over time, but I'm just looking at all of the boxes and the bottles and all of the little potions and remedies that are in there and I was thinking about the scenes that take place in Crimson Field where they're in the, um, the apothecary of the hospital and there's uh, the shelves, you know. Um, there's, more, there's more ways to alleviate pain in the hall closet of our home than there was in that makeshift army hospital who was serving soldiers on the front line in World War I. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, we could talk about food. My goodness, we have access to food that many kings and queens did not have. and Our excess is hurting us. It's affecting us. our health. It's affecting us spiritually. We need, to be, we need to be mindful that, listen, fasting is a spiritual discipline. There's a correlation. There's a correlation. I know some of you have talked about it, and I know it's really close to home. Um, given all these excesses, it's not surprising that we find ourselves in a drug epidemic, we find ourselves in an alcohol epidemic, we find ourselves in a gambling epidemic, we find ourselves in a blank, you fill it in epidemic because of excess. So at the very least, we can see that Noah is guilty of excess, and where has that left him? Where has it left him? It's left him in drunkenness and shame, hasn't it? It's left him in dishonor. And we can derive from this a biblical principle that excess, E-X-C-E-S-S, -S, I'm about to forget how to spell excess, E-X-C-E-S-S. There's a biblical principle that excess will bring dishonor eventually. I think we can derive a biblical principle that will bring dishonor. Um, if Noah was abusing alcohol, then all the above can be said. If he was the listen, if he if, 
if it's true that he, does, that he was the inventor of wine and he didn't really know what the effect of it was, well, he, he, had, to have, he had to have been figuring it out as he went along um, and he didn't stop. Uh, so we could, at the very least, say here, uh, I don't want to build a theology on, on just two legs. I want at least three legs here to build a theology on. I think we've got more than, than three legs here. I think we're on very firm ground here that excess will bring dishonor. It'll eventually, be, it'll eventually be exposed and it'll bring dishonor. What's the cause of this? What causes this? That's what we really want to answer right now. What causes of this? It's, it's, not an, it's not a sophisticated, it's not a complicated thing, uh, really. It's just good old-fashioned idolatry. That's the cause of it. It's good old-fashioned idolatry. I mean, that's the cause. Idolatry is offering trust, worship, and adoration to anything other than God through Christ. And, and that's what it is. I mean, at the root of it, it's a worship issue because we're trusting something to do something that we enjoy or we like or we think will be helpful to us. And we're doing it in excess. That's what it is, isn't it? Let's not make it more complicated than what it is. That's what it is. That's actually not bad news, by the way. That's actually good news. Is Jesus, can he help us with our worship problems? That's great, the greatest of news, isn't it? It's not like we've come down with something that's like, okay, you know, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. It's just going to have to just make you as comfortable as possible. And in this lifetime, this is just the way it's going to No, it's not like that at all. It's something that we can do something about. It's something that God can do something about. And it's, it's quite wonderful. How does it happen? I mean, how can this, how can this happen? To somebody like Noah, and how can it happen to us? And the answer, again, is very simple. How does this happen? Well, either one, we've never encountered the living God in true saving faith. And if that's the case, if we've never come to God in true saving faith, if that's the case, then the, 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 the idolatry has never really been broken and shattered in our lives. It's not broken and shattered. We're not free from its shackles until we've placed our faith and our trust in Christ savingly. That's when it gets broken. So that's one option. We've never really come to Him. Uh, maybe we just merely mentally assent to some truths, but we've never really come and encountered the living God in a trusting and saving way. Uh, that, of course, would explain it. That's not the case with Noah. That's certainly not the case with Noah. Um, the other option also is very simple. And um, Noah wandered. How did this happen? He wandered. How does it happen to us? We wander. We just wander away. That's how it happens. And this certainly calls for watchfulness. Watchfulness. Jesus warns us to be watchful, especially as He's preparing His disciples for His departure. He warns us to be watchful in Matthew 24, Matthew 25, and Matthew 26. Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Matthew 26. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Matthew 25, 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. This is just a small sampling. The Apostle Paul warns us many places, one of which, Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Peter warns us in many places, one of which, 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
And here's an interesting thing that John gives us in his vision while on the island of Patmos, recorded for us as the book of Revelation. In Revelation 16 and verse 15, we have, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, and listen to the rest, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Now, what do you think that's hinting towards? That's hinting back to Noah, isn't it? We got it in the first book early on, and we've got it in the last book, and we've got it everywhere in between. Watchfulness, prayerful watchfulness. There are numerous other passages that we could look at. Um, watchfulness in our prayers. Now, there's one more issue that I want to talk about, and that concerns the report of Noah's fall. We've looked at the extent. We've looked at the cause. Noah's not being watchful. He wanders. Uh, we need to be watchful. And as soon as we discover anything in our lives, it seems to be dulling our attention to God, dulling our devotion to God. Hey, we'll stop. Stop right there. Don't go any further. Prayerfully, go to Christ with that. Stop right there. Don't go any further. That's being watchful. So we looked at the extent. We've looked at the cause. Let's look at lastly to the report of Noah's fall. If you look with me to verse 22, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers. Now, I presume that what Ham did is he just kind of accidentally stumbled in the tent and happened to come across this and discovered his father in this uh, position. But rather than covering him up and keeping the matter quiet, he goes out and reports it to his, to his brother. And this exposes another wicked delight of our fallen human hearts, doesn't it? Namely, the the desire to report the fall of other people, the, the desire to report the dirt, if you will. Um, I, I told you this is a tough one. Um, you know, when someone falls, it spreads like wildfire. And in our culture, it's usually all over the social media, isn't it? I mean, as soon as it happens, boom, off it goes. And I have no doubt that that's one of the greatest attractions to our social media is to get the latest dirt on somebody um, people want to neb into other people's lives and they want to report the dirt. Well, that's what Ham's up to. I don't know if he was nebbing. That I don't know. But I do know he was reporting the dirt, wasn't he? He's reporting the dirt. What do, when we hear of a fall, what do we do? We'll look at Shem and Japheth. What, verse 23, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. Shem and Japheth, they honor their father. Sounds like one of the commandments, doesn't it? They honor their father. Um, when we hear of a fall and we're tempted to jump in with everyone else and spread the news, let's be watchful. And as soon as you feel that temptation, be watchful right there, you know. Let's be watchful and... and Let's handle this like we would handle any other temptation. I mean, when we're tempted, what do we do? Well, we, we run to Christ. We call on Christ for the grace to overcome the temptation. We call on Him to change our hearts. But here's the big thing. Actually, what we're doing right now is a, is a, is a really 
a big thing that we can do to overcome these kinds of temptations. What are we doing right now? We're worshiping the Lord, aren't we? And we're in the presence of the Lord. And believe it or not, it's simply being in the presence of the Lord that changes us. That's why it's, it's, it's a little bit easier to do this after you leave the worship service and it becomes increasingly harder to do this as we go through the week. How do, how do we do this? How do, how, do we, how do we change? We change by, by getting into the presence of God and staying there. And someone will say, well, how do I stay there? I have to go to work. I have to do this. Yeah, well, we, we want, you know, in the, in the age of computers, many of you, those, at least the younger folks, are going to get this one. We want Jesus as a background program running all the time in the computer of our mind. You know, that's a program we don't want to close. That's one that we want running back there all the time so that we learn how to see everything through the lenses of the Scriptures and see everything for what it is. We're not going to reach perfection of this in this lifetime. But that doesn't mean that we just throw our hands up and we don't try. I've already alluded to, I think one of the biggest, I think one of the first lessons in this is as soon as you're tempted, as soon as you, as soon as you experience anything that you know would get in the way between you and the Father, then it's time. It's time right there to run into the presence of Jesus. If that means, wait, excuse me for a second, I've got to go to the restroom. Or if that means, excuse me for a second, I need to step outside. We do that for all kinds of other reasons and everyone's fine with it. What do we do? We just use what we can to get into His presence. Get into His presence. Because just by virtue of being in His presence, that's so much of it. Isn't it? That's so very much of it. And we want to be sure that we don't wander. Okay, in conclusion, what, what do we say about all this? Well, if Noah can fall, so can we. Huh. It's kind of scary, isn't it? I hope you find that a little bit scary. If you don't, you're not taking it seriously. If Noah can fall, every one of us can fall. And we can say this about a number of... of, uh, of uh, folks in the scriptures. If King David could fall the way he did, we can fall. I mean, we can say that about a number of folks in scripture. Um, if Zechariah can fall in doubt and unbelief, we can fall. He's referred to as blameless by the scriptures. Secondly, watchfulness is not an option for us. It's a necessity, isn't it? What do we mean by watchfulness? Watching over your heart prayerfully. Lord, help me to watch over my heart. Watch over my heart, O oh Lord. And when we feel temptation come on, that's when we run to God in, in prayer with it. I'm not speaking as one who's, who, who has this completely down 100%. You're, you're staring at someone who falls this way. I want you to know that. I don't want you to think that I've come in here this morning to like stand up here and speak down about this stuff. I've been convicted of this all week long. Um, let's... Watchfulness is not an option, it's a necessity. And, and lastly, let's not delight in the fall of others. I mean, every one of us have done, we've all done that, haven't we? Um, the first step is, is, is recognizing that for what it is. And let's ask the Lord to show us just what that is. Show us what that really is. And what He'll do is He'll work a distaste for that in our hearts. And eventually, we won't even like that kind of thing at all. That's what happens with all of our 
our temptations and our vices eventually if we're serious with God about them. Let Him work in our hearts to create a great distaste for those things uh, so that we hate those things. And uh, we'll, I think we will have learned the main lessons of this particular passage that we've come to this morning. For this, we need much prayer. Amen? <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, I think I can speak for everyone. We sit here probably very convicted of this particular uh, story that we come to. Uh, we sit here in one sense trembling that when we see what can happen to Noah, uh, we, we know for sure that this can happen to us. Secondly, we, we are aware of our excesses. Um, Father, help us. We pray, Father, you help us to develop a, a real discipline of watchfulness in our hearts that we would begin in your time to be able to see everything that we do, the excesses that are in our life, whatever they are, wherever they are, that you begin to reveal them to us and begin to help us, O oh, Father, that these things could be removed so that we could see you ever more closely and ever more clearly and that we could truly uh, find ourselves enjoying the enjoying you, which is greater than any, any created thing. Father, we pray you'll help us with, the, with watchfulness. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, you, you would, the, the vice of, of delighting in the fall of others, that you would create a, a distaste in our, our hearts for this kind of thing. Lord, we pray that we would come to, to hate that just like you do, oh, Father. Lord, we look to you for all of these things. They're, they're out of our reach, but um, these are graces that you freely give. And we want them and we ask for them and we call on you for them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.